0: This morning, um, important things, we're in Matthew chapter 13, so please open your Bibles there. You know, it's amazing, it always amazes me, maybe amazes you or not, how two people, two different people, or two groups of people can watch the same thing, observe the same event, but have diametrically opposite reactions and interpretations to what just happened. So over the Thanksgiving break, um, our son, Jack, who is a sophomore at Florida State University, for for some strange reason, decided he wanted to go with some friends to the swamp, aka the sewer, for the FSU-UF game. And of course, he went, donned in all of his gay apparel of garnet and gold, and of course, as God's sense of humor has it, they were sitting smack dab in the middle of the student section, which was not a fun place to be when it was 12 to nothing, right? So... So, but, but towards the end of the game, Jackson, a bit, one of his friends sent a video, and it was at that pivotal moment in the game when FSU was trying to get a first down, and not only did Trey Benson get a first down, he, he ran in for a touchdown, and, and the camera panned over to this little tiny remnant of Seminole Nation in the middle of Gator Nation. They were just going nuts, and they were off the hook and being completely, totally obnoxious, right? But the best part I shouldn't say that, but another part was they scanned to the crowd around them, and it was like somebody had died, right? And they, and they had. It was the, the, the UF football program had, had died a death right then. <laughs> we're not far behind you, UF. Okay, you, we get it. Us Vol fans, we, we, we get it. So, so you would have thought somebody, not only somebody died, I mean, the tears were flowing, the tears of the, of the dew of Herman were watering the lilies of the ground of the University of Florida field. I mean, it was such stark, diametrically opposite reactions to the exact same thing. And in a lot of ways, we've seen this over and over and over again, haven't we, in Matthew's gospel when it comes to the teaching and work of Jesus. On one hand, as Jesus is teaching with authority and power and doing miraculous works, You have this one group of of people, this remnant, who is like, can this really be the son of David? Is this God's long-awaited, anointed Messiah, just like we sing about this morning? But on the other hand, you have this other group, led by the religious leaders, who had the exact opposite reaction to Jesus' work and teaching. They said things like, "Bah, humbug, right? Who is this man Sure, he casts out demons, but he only does it because he's Satan himself. See, they're, 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 they had these diametrically opposite, equal and opposite reactions to the very same thing. And we're left to ponder, aren't we? How do we explain this? What is, what is going on? How, how are we to understand this from a human perspective? And that gives occasion for Matthew to take a pause in the action and to give us Matthew chapter 13. It's, this, it's as if in the middle of all of this varied reaction, and as we're trying to sort through, well, who do we say Jesus is, or how would we would respond, and why are they responding in this way? Matthew provides in the form of a set of teachings from Jesus, a set of parables, of stories, an explanation for why we are observing what we are observing. It's almost like a peek behind the curtain for us to understand sovereignly what is happening in the plan of God. And last week, when Pastor Scott preached on the first of these parables of their stories, the stories, the parable of the sower, and Jesus talks about scattering the word of God and how some seed springs up, it brings forth life, it produces great fruit, while on the other hand, some seed falls away or it's scattered, or it's choked out, or it doesn't produce fruit. And the problem, we found out, Jesus tells us, is not with the Word, not with the seed. The problem is with human hearts. See, it's, it's the condition of the heart that, that shapes how we receive the Word of God. And unless that human heart, our human hearts, have been transformed, regenerated, opened up to the things of God... It will be foolishness to us. And so so that was last week. But today, Jesus introduces us to a second story, and he's he's interested in, in a related but kind of a separate question, and it's simply this. Knowing that there are those who respond to the Word of God, and knowing that there are those who don't respond to the Word of God, how... How are we to, to live in that tension? How are we to live in the tension that, that we um, who profess Christ go to school with those who don't? Or we share holiday festivities? Or, or, or we're, we're roommates or classmates or neighbors? Maybe that's the reality that faces your family this season, your very close family. That, that there are those who are, to the exact same event, responding in one particular way, and it's different than the way you're responding. And Jesus wants to answer the question, how are we to think about that? How are we to navigate that? How, how are we to, to live in, in the tension of that? What does it mean to be faithful? What are we to do? And that's where Jesus is going to direct our attention this morning from his word. So we're going to be in Matthew 13, and we're going to be reading verses 24 through 43. And so if you can, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to read God's word together. Matthew 13, 24. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, "'Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field.' And he answered, "'The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age.'" The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, would you tend the soil of our hearts? May it be a receptive heart, a receptive soil, a moist soil ready to receive your word implanted in us. Lord, we freely confess that if left to our own devices, the world, the flesh, the devil will conspire against us. But Lord, you are greater than all of these things. And so we ask now for your help. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please take your seats. The title, this message of Wheats and Weeds. In just two points, it's actually a very straightforward passage. And first, we're going to talk about the kingdom explained. Jesus is going to tell us how this story he shared is like the life you and I live right now, the kingdom explained. And then secondly, the kingdom lived out. In light of the situation we find ourselves in, how then are we to live? And so let's let's look at the kingdom explained first. Now I, I'm speaking to all the 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 flower children, burned out hippies, Jesus people. Okay, you, you do you remember this phase in rock and roll history where all the craze was to scour all the popular songs to find their quote unquote true meanings, right? Some of y'all are still listening to Don McLean's American Pie to figure out who is what in that, in that song, right? I remember uh, listening to the Beatles and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Surely that had something to do with drugs. It, it, clearly it did, right? And those speculations, let's be honest, oftentimes strained credulity. Now, sometimes we can do that to the parables of Jesus. We can go to great lengths to look for these sort of fanciful um, hidden allegorical secret sort of sort of meaning in these stories, but the reality is, and, and thankfully this is the case, Jesus doesn't leave us to our own devices here, right? Here, and in, in this is the Jesus doesn't do, always do this, but he does it here. Not only does he give us the parable, but he tells us what it means, right? So this this could be a a really hard sermon to screw up, but but. It could happen, all right, but it could happen, but certainly it's a piece of low-hanging fruit here when Jesus tells us what the, serm, what, what the parable is. Now look at verse 24. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and so all you English majors, is this a simile or is it a metaphor? I have no idea. It's in my notes to ask that, but no, it's a, it's a simile. And it's obviously one they were going to be super familiar with, just like as I'm narrating a story about a football game, and most of us understand generally what's happening there. It's part of our cultural uh, cultural language. So, too, everyone would have immediately zeroed in on what Jesus was talking about here. And it's, it's actually very simple. He said, a man scatters good seed. Now, this was the seed for wheat, and that produces a crop of wheat, but never, I mean, how would you, uh, how would you think otherwise, right? So, so, it's very simple. He plants the seed, it produces wheat. However, some ne'er-do-well comes and scatters bad seed among the good seed. Now, the word for seed there, the bad seed, zizania. It literally means weeds or tears. Maybe you've heard that term before. It also means, and I had never heard this term, darnell. sounds like a kid I knew in high school. I don't know, but weeds, tears, darnell. And, and, and when, it, when we think about weeds, we think about going out in our little vegetable garden and pulling out the weeds and those sort of things like it's some sort of nuisance. I mean, you know, in, in high school, one of the things that we did that was a nuisance to each other, we, we would go and toilet paper each other's yards, right? Um, and if we were really bad, we would run our friends' trash cans over the night before the garbage came. I didn't do that. Just, just some friends did that, right? And, and we would say, you know, it's a pain. It's a nuisance. But it doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody's killed. That's not the sort of thing Jesus is talking about here. This is not a prank, okay? This is, and this is not an overstatement to say this is agricultural subterfuge. This was a very actually common thing at the time, that enemies would do to one another. And it was very deadly. They would take these seeds, which were poisonous seeds, by the way, deathly poisonous, and they would go to their enemy or their neighbor that they were having a fight with or some other sort of dispute, and they would plant these seeds in someone else's plot of field. And this was such a bad thing, it could ruin an entire crop, it could ruin a livelihood, that the Romans actually had very um, strict laws and penalties about doing these sorts of things. And so, so this is not fun and games. Just think about ID theft, right? That, that might be an equivalent. And here's what makes the wheat and the weeds or ID theft, to use that example, so, so dangerous, right? Sometimes you don't figure it out until what? It's too late. Sometimes it's, the, the, the damage has already been done. It's difficult to detect. See, see, these weeds and this wheat, from a distance they looked virtually identical. You, you really couldn't tell them apart. It was not until harvest time when, the, when, the, when they begin to bud and sprout and be ready to be harvested, that then you knew there was a problem. We have tares, we have weeds among the wheat. And it was only then that the tares showed their true poisonous color. So, so that's the scenario. It's a serious situation. And in our story, the workers go to the owner and they have a very simple question. They said, do you want us to go ahead and rip out the weeds? Do you want us to just to go ahead, and every time we see a weed, do you want us to yank it out? And here's what the owner says. He says, no, don't do that. Because if you start uprooting the weeds, he says, you're liable to take a big hunk of wheat with it. You see, if you took up a weed, um, because of the root systems and the way they were all growing together under the ground, not, doesn't appear to the eye, you could end up doing more damage than, than, than good by uprooting them as they were growing. So instead, here's what the owner says to do. Wait. He said, Just wait. Wait until the harvest. Then I want you to harvest all of it all at the same time. And then I want you to put everything in, in, on the threshing floor, and I want you to begin to separate the wheat and the tares one by one. Can you imagine how, how just tedious that would be? How, how, how careful, how, how cautious, um, how laborious this might be. He said, that's the way I want you to handle it. D- don't, don't take the wheat, don't try to take the tares out now, just Wait until the harvest, and then we'll deal with it. And then we'll take the good wheat, and we'll send that to market. and the And the bad wheat, the tares, the weeds, we'll bundle that up and throw it into the fire. Okay. Now, how is this like the kingdom of God? How is this like the life you and I live? And And Jesus tells us. Here's what he says. Look back down. And here here we're going to go back down to verses 36 and, and following. Here's what Jesus says. God, or the Son of Man, that's Jesus, I'm raising up a people. That's the good seed. That's the wheat. I'm raising up the people of God. However, Satan is also raising up a people, a people who don't believe, of people who were deceived, of people who have a hardened heart. And these are what we would call unbelievers. And Jesus says the reality of our lives right here, right now, not just in first century Palestine, but in 21st century America, is simply this. We have wheat and tares, believers and non-believers, living alongside one another every single day. This is the reality at your workplace, in your classroom, in your neighborhood. This might be, and this can be a tough one around this time of the year, might be in your own family. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your your children. The reality is that in this life, there's not a separate section, right, for, for the wheat and the tares. You don't go to Doe Campbell Stadium and say, the, the wheat sit over here and the tares all sit over here with the students, right? In the student section. Just kidding, right? Come on, we're just having fun. Now, what's the critical issue of the parable? All that's just preliminary. Here's the, here's the critical question. I want you to look at verse 28. This is the question. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, here is the question, then do you want us to go and gather them? Now, what, what does that mean, gather them? Do you want us to go ahead and, and, and harvest the tares? Do you want us to sort them out now? Now, something you need to understand is that one of the dominant um, metaphors that the Scripture uses for the final judgment is what? The harvest. So, so. It, if you ever seen that song, the battle hymn of the republic, I've been requesting it for years, and Pastor Joe just will not relent, okay? The, the, we see the great where the grapes of wrath are stored. Where where is that? That's in Revelation, actually. And the and the picture there is of the angel coming with his great sickle and walloping the top of the earth and harvesting the grapes of wrath, or the people who are going to receive the judgment of God at the final judgment. So, so, so putting two and two together, what are, what are they really saying? What, 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 are these, what are these workers really saying when they say, can we gather this tear up right now? To put it in spiritual language, this is what they're saying, God, why don't you just go ahead and bring the final judgment? God, why don't you just wipe out the evildoers? God, can't you see the sin and suffering and destruction of the world? God, do you not see what's happening in the Middle East? Do do, do you not see what's happening across our, our cultural landscape, the depravity, the moral devauchery? We are sick and tired of subjecting our children to this. So God, we would ask you, please, very much, pretty please, with sugar on top, can you not come and just deal with this once and for all? And this is what Jesus says to that. He says what? No. Not yet. Now, as we turn our attention to why Jesus says that, because that is the point of the parable, why does Jesus say no for now? For us to really understand the answer Jesus gives, for this parable to really have its full weight and impact for us, all of us need to begin um, the second point by being really emotionally honest with ourselves. Where in your life do you just wish God would come and end it all? Wipe it off. Maybe it's some relationship, maybe it's some sin. Maybe it's something that's been done to you. Maybe there's a person in your life, a, an employer in your life, a force in your life. Maybe it impacts you very personally. Maybe it impacts you more globally and culturally. God, I, I wish that you would come and rip out this particular tear right here. What would that be for you? See, that that's... That's where this parable gets real. Because God, through Jesus here, wants to say, no, not yet. And we have to ask why. But I think before we can receive Jesus' answer, you need to be really honest with yourself. Where is that rumbling around in your own heart? Where, Where have you maybe rightfully identified problems issues but 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 there's not a lot of forbearance there there's not a lot of patience you don't want to wait you don't want to pray you just want god to get down to business jesus says no and our second point here we're going to find out why okay look 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 at look at verse 29 And now we're under the second point, the kingdom lived out. Verse 29, but he said, no, now he's going to give us the reason, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say. (laughs) Nope, we're going to wait. Because if we act now, some of the wheat might be rooted up right along with the tares. Now what does he mean there? Here's what I I think. Here's what I... I think he is, he is getting at here. And we'll circle back around to this, to verses 40, 43 in just a second, because he, he explains this a little further. Jesus is talking here, I think, about the timing of the judgment. And I think what he's saying is this. You see all those tares out there that you want me to destroy, that you want me to root up, that you want me to harvest, that you want me to throw into the fire? Don't you know that among those tares are those that I have chosen to be wheat? Don't don't you realize that, and I'm gonna use the language that Paul used about the church in Corinth, that there are many people that I still have in this city. Oh yeah, they're tares right now, but not for long. Because I'm sovereign, I have a work, I'm drawing them to myself, I'm working out my plan. I'm doing things in the soil that you have no idea about. And so to take the sickle to the tares means those, are, those people are lost. And I think by implication, he wants us to say this, for Oaks, and don't you remember that time you were a tear too? <laughs> don't, don't, I mean, surely there was, there's somebody in your life, in your moment of rebellion, that prayed, God, wipe that tear away, right? I don't know who it was, probably somebody, somewhere along the way, for for, for many of us. But God says, "When when when you demand that my time be right now, you forget who you are. You forget who you were. You forget about my forbearance, not just to the world, but to you. See, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And Jesus says, if we start to swing in that sickle, it cuts across everyone. And I have a plan, I have a purpose among the tares that you have no idea about. So I think that's one thing he's saying here. Here's the second thing. I want you to notice in the parable who it is that's doing the judging, if I can use that term. Or who, who is it that's doing the reaping? It's actually the workers. Now, the workers, we know, symbolize the disciples or the church or those who are, who are laboring on the part of God. But I want you to know in Jesus's interpretation of the parable, who is it that does the judging? It's not the workers. It's Jesus. Jesus, through his emissaries, the angels, They're simply his messengers doing his bidding. What is Jesus saying here? When it comes time to judge, guess what? I will be doing the judging. Thank you very much, not you. You see, in case you haven't read church history, Christians are terrible at judging the world. People always die inevitably, whether it's the Crusades. Or the Inquisition, or one group trying to kill the Anabaptists in the Reformation. I mean, everybody was trying to kill somebody, because all of them thought, I've got God on my side. And so, so this is why Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is not here to establish a national religion, a national church over the whole world. Heaven forbid, who would run it? Jesus says, oh, no, 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 I'm building a spiritual kingdom in this life. Now, one day I will return, and one day there will be a judgment, and one day I will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we're going to get all of this sorted out. But in the meantime, I have tares who I want to become wheat, and I don't want you to be the jury, the arbiter, the judge, lest you do more harm than you ever dared realize. Church, this is why we don't take up arms in the name of Christ. We we don't take up arms to enact civil religion. We take up the word to enact a spiritual kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying here. And these two little parables that he inserts here About the mustard seed and the leaven. Okay, this is verses um, 30. Of course, I can't read 31 through 33. Those seem to be kind of throwaway parables, right? But they're not. They simply are meant to make a point, to be a reminder for us. He says, "You're worried about the world. You're worried about the culture. You're worried about wherever you see the tears flourishing." Let me remind you, church. Jesus says, "I've got that." I'm building my kingdom. You may not see it. You may just think it's a tiny mustard seed in your life. You may think it's just a little bit of yeast or leaven for the dough. But you have no idea what I can do. And not only that, you have no idea what I'm doing. You know, we see the church and cultural Christianity crashing in the West while many of us are completely oblivious that the kingdom of God is growing, I was going to say like a weed, but that would be mixing my metaphors, okay? Growing like wheat in South America, in Africa, in Asia. As we get glimpses inside behind the walls, behind the secret church, we realize, oh my gosh, God has been building his kingdom, and so we wait. We wait patiently, we wait in hope, we wait prayerfully to trust that God will do what he's going to do. Now, there's one implication of what Jesus says here that I think really deserves our attention, and we're going to spend just the last few minutes we have on this, that when we look around the world, we we notice the reality of the wheat and the tares, but the reality is that it's not just some, it's not just a reality that's out there. The wheat and the tares is a reality right in here, isn't it? That and this is what theologians call the visible and the invisible church. And let me, let me explain what I mean by this. The invisible church, or all those everywhere, past, present, and future, who profess the Lord Jesus Christ, who have a genuine, regenerated heart and a genuine faith in him. And one day, we will all be together in heaven. We call it the invisible church because it's scattered. You can't tell in the wide, wide world always who's a believer and not a believer. But sometimes, you have this experience, right? You're in another country, another city. You're visiting family or friends and you meet believers from, that you never knew before, but you have such an instantaneous bond. There's such a connection. You have nothing in common, but everything in common. And th- those are unique things, right? That, that's the power of the invisible church. But we also have what we call the visible church. And that's what we have right here at Four Oaks this morning and churches millions across the globe. This is when the invisible church gathers locally and is visible, is, is, is coming together. But here's the reality. While there are people who are truly wheat, have a regenerated relationship with Jesus Christ who are gathered here this morning, just because you're gathered here Doesn't mean you're wheat. You see, it's very possible to grow up adjacent to the things of God, geographically to the things of God. You may have been born and raised in a Christian family, you may have been attached to spiritual ritual and traditions your whole life that doesn't make you wheat. And the reality of what Jesus is speaking here is that judgment, if we want to use that term, for the believer, doesn't begin out there. Guess what? Judgment begins right here. See, that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Judgment begins with the household of God. That's why we are constantly, as believers, exhorted what? To spur one another on to love and good deeds to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Guys, one of the dominant themes of Matthew is this idea that there there are those who are a part of the visible people of God but aren't a part of the invisible. Matthew 7, we we looked at it a number of, of months ago. Not everyone who says to me, Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness here's a truism and i and i wrote it down word for word cuz i want to make sure i get it exactly right because I believe this is true and reflective of what we're studying here. While all true believers are a part of the invisible church, not all of the visible church are true believers. There's wheat and weeds, wheat and tares, and this is the reality of it. This is, this is, this is, this is the experience many of us are experiencing, not just culturally, but locally, personally, in our own lives, in our own families. And here is Paul's admonition to us. He says, before you're quick to judge the world, here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5.12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. There is a judgment, and, and, and I use the term judgment. I, it sounds like a bad word. It's a very good word. It just means to make a righteous evaluation. It means to use, make a righteous discernment about the condition of your heart and of my heart. Because, and this may not seem very adventy to say this, but it's 100% true, there is a judgment that's coming. See, we, we, we sing and pray, come thou long awaited or expected Jesus, and that is a glorious thing. But it will not be glorious for everyone. Look back at verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, don't worry about the world. I got the world. Don't don't be consumed. Do your part. Be faithful. By all means, share the word. Spread the gospel. I'll deal with that in my good time. Right now, church, I want you to deal with your own hearts. I want you to to commit your energy to spurring one another on to love and good deeds and holding up Christ for one another. Because here's the awful, but I'm going to close with this, the the awful but the awesome reality. The reason you and I can make judgments of ourselves is because Jesus took the ultimate judgment from God. You see, a lot of us shy away from judgment, but rightfully so, of condemnation, of consequence, of pain, of suffering. But but here is the, the marvelous news of the gospel. Jesus came and took all the judgment of God. He was cursed on our behalf so that when we bring our hearts to God, we don't bring them out of fear. We bring them out of the fact that we know Jesus has already covered our sins with his righteousness, and that there is ultimately no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can come not with a spirit of fear, but of crying, Abba, Father. We come boldly to the throne of grace and say, God, I know I deserve your judgment, but I can bring my heart to you because you've already judged my sin in Jesus. Because when a community of people, a family of God, gets a picture of that, a glimpse of that, tastes that, that, that is called biblical faith. That is called Christian community. That, is a, that will produce a people that are not only tolerant and patient of one another in our fellow struggles, but are forbearing to the world. They say, God, I entrust all of this to you, because we we come to the table this morning full of faith, full of hope, without fear of condemnation. Not because of our own hearts, our own selves, but because of what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going to ask you just to suspend a moment or two, reflecting on God's word this morning, preparing your hearts for the table. And as you do that, I'm going to ask our leaders to come forward to prepare to serve. Communion.